Well, it's so good to see you all uh, and to see half your faces. Now, uh, I know there's a lot of questions about masks, especially right now. Uh, for right now, we're going to hold off ju- just for a little bit longer. Uh, for those of you that know, I know some of you guys are new, that we are uh, part of uh, six different locations. Uh, and so sometimes decisions are slow, and sometimes we do this together. Uh, and right now, we're still, because everything is so new, uh, we are still um, kind of consulting and just working together as a leadership uh, to figure this whole thing out. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but masks are a bit complex. They're a bit controversial. I don't know. Maybe it's just my experience, but that's the experience that we've had. And so I know there's a lot of thoughts around that. So uh, while you're in this building, in this church at least, uh, we just ask that you kindly keep it on. Um, and then when we step outside or when you go to the park or when we go to the coffee shop, uh, you can do as you wish. And so, again, I hope you do join us at the, at the Coffee uh, Connect after service. If you're watching online, we're still having ours at 1045 over Zoom. Um, and so it's one of my favorite parts of the whole morning. And so this morning, we are wrapping up a quick three-part sermon series called Be Thou My Vision. Uh, and it's all about how we engaged God and how we engaged others in some of the best ways. She's so happy. I love it. And the best way, and some of the best ways we do that is, first of all, the week one we talked about is being present. And it's so hard to be present right now with all the noise and all the chat and all the all the division and the polarization and the news and social media, it's so hard for us to just be present and see what God is doing in the midst of it. We miss it oftentimes. And so it's so important for us to just be present and allowing the Spirit to move in our lives. The second way we talked about, it's important to look back, not to dwell on the past, but what is it about the past that teaches us how to move forward? How do we be reminded of all the ways that we forget that God loves us and has provided for us? So often we have short-term memory, and that's myself included. And so this morning, we're going to unpack what it looks like to look forward. And we, today's text comes from Numbers. I know a lot of us, when we read our Bibles, Numbers is the first place you go to because the book of Numbers sounds so intriguing. Uh, but just stay with me here. Uh, I'm going to read our text this morning. I'll pray and we'll continue. It comes from Numbers chapter 13, verse 17. I don't know. I'll stop when I feel like I should. Here's what the word of the Lord says. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on uh, into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many, What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some good fruit of the land. God, we thank you for all your blessings, gift of life, children, Mia, And all the other kiddos in here and watching, we're so thankful for this generation. God, teach us what it looks like to look ahead. There's so much to look forward to and so much to even dread. 
Help us to do this in a faithful, in a loving way. And your name we pray, amen and amen. Now, I don't know about you, but in the last few weeks, uh, especially in the last couple weeks, uh, I've been hearing and reading and listening, whether it's on uh, podcasts or radio or TV, uh, of people asking very similar questions. And the question is something like this. It's simple. What's next? Especially as it has to do with this pandemic and and quarantine and masks and and everything that's happening. Uh, The age-old question right now that I'm hearing and reading and seeing from all across the board is, okay, what is next? What will life look like after this pandemic? Especially now that summer is around around the corner, vaccines are becoming more readily available, restaurants and shops are are opening back up, and we are, uh, you know, if this continues, by the end of June, things will all be open, according to the governor. And so then with all that said, I think it's a fair question for all of us to be asking, what does life look like after this pandemic? And I love, uh, in this Northeastern University uh, magazine, one writer says this. Maybe you can resonate with this. When the COVID threat is gone, I predict that we will double down on the joys of physical friendship. And she says this about herself. I want to live dangerously with my besties. I want to double dip in the guacamole. Okay, gross. (laughs) I want to sip your cocktail to see if I like it too. I want to scream together in a karaoke microphone. I'll pick the first song with a little help from my friends. Now, in this story of numbers is a story that many of us can actually resonate with, especially, again, when it comes to the question, what's next? What's happening? What are the questions we need to ask in order to move forward? And I think this is a question that isn't just limited to a pandemic. Oftentimes in our lives, we are asking, what is next? What does it look like to look forward, to look ahead? We're all asking the same questions as the Israelites were asking in Numbers. And so here's what it says in Numbers 13 that we just read. Moses is saying, uh, to certain spies, to certain people uh, of, of the group, the tr- of the 12 tribes. He says, go into the promised land that God has promised and to look around. And, and not only to look around, Moses is asking questions on what our future is going to look like. What, okay, God is promising us to go from point A to point B, from Egypt and slavery to uh, a land filled with milk and honey. We are about to enter into that land. That is what's ahead, but there's so many questions. What's going to be there? Is it going to be dangerous? Is it going to be big? Is it going to be resourceful? Is it going to be amazing? Is it going to be better than what we just had? I don't know. And so these questions... We can resonate with. And again, it is not just limited to this pandemic. It's, it's all of life. It's a lot of life. You see, here's what's happening here. God rescues the Israelites from Egypt. And this is a story that is told over and over again, not only in church, but really all throughout uh, Christian and Jewish history because it's so prevalent. It's such a big piece of our faith. God rescues the Israelites out of Egypt. 
In other words, out of slavery, out of persecution, from oppression, and promises to, to bring them into Canaan. And, and continually, Canaan is considered a land filled with milk and honey, which is ancient idiom for resourceful, great, powerful, better than what we had in the past. And the story goes on that all throughout their journey uh, from Egypt into Canaan, there's detours and circles and they get lost and there's complaining and there's, you know, doubt and there's skepticism. Uh, and there's this pattern of complaining to God. God provides what they need. They continue on the journey. And then that happens again. They're going from point A to point B to this promised land that God promises and then they complain because there's lack of water, there's lack of food, there's lack of people, They're, they don't know what's ahead of them. Whatever it is, there's this continual pattern of complaint, provision, and continuing on the journey. But here in Numbers, it's a little different. The pattern isn't necessarily continuing because they're at the cusp of finally reaching the promised land. Something that was promised from generations and generations. So uh, the pattern is no longer, uh, I complain, I get what I want, and I continue. Now they're about to actually enter into the promised land. And God says uh, to Moses, before you enter into the promised land, I want you to do something. Select the leaders of Israel, uh, which is uh, the Israelites, all the people that are traveling, and select the leaders. One leader from each tribe. So Israel was made up of 12 tribes. And Moses says, or God says to Moses, select one leader from each tribe uh, to go into the promised land. The land I promise them to just scope it out. And Numbers 13 says this, the Lord said to Moses, send some of the men to explore. That's the key word, to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Now, at a glance, it seems like Moses did exactly what God instructed Moses to do. God said, Moses, you're about to finally enter into the promised land. But I have one job for you. Take your leaders, have them go and explore the land. The land that I'm giving to you. The land that I promised you. So at a quick look... It seems like that's exactly what Moses did in our text this morning. But don't read this so fast, because it seems like Moses didn't quite get it. And here's what I mean. The word explore in Hebrew, which is the Old Testament, the original language, is the word tour. T-U-R is the pronunciation tour. And this Hebrew word tour, to explore, actually means to discover, and not just to discover, but to, uh, to look and to observe and, and to essentially, and the word kind of sounds like it, uh, to become a tourist. God is saying, pick your 12 people, go in there and have them just check out what I have for them. To be a tourist, to get a sneak peek of what I promised those people, your people. Moses thinks he, he's got it, so he got it. So he does what God promises, or what God asks him to do. So, God, so Moses tells the 12 men, go into the land. But then Moses kind of twists God's word and says, well, scout it out. 
Find out what lies ahead. Again, who's there? What's there? Instead of approaching the promised land as God directed as a tourist, as someone who's discovering, just looking around, observing, confirming all of God's promises, instead Moses turned it into kind of a military reconnaissance mission. As Moses and the Israelites prepare to go into this new land, really what's happening is they're about to start a new life, a new season. As they enter into this new land, things are going to be so different. Every single one of their lives will be changed. And the immediate response to knowing that, at least for Moses and really to the Israelites, is the very question that we ask all the time. Well, what is going to happen? What's next? What lies ahead? And sometimes that question becomes so anxiety-ridden. And many of us have experienced that. It becomes so paralyzing. It's almost like we just get stuck right where we're at. In fact, even the people were so scared uh, of the news of going into this new place, they complained to Moses later in the chapter and says, you know what, we want to go back. And Moses like, what are you talking about? If you were to go back, you're going to be slaves again. And they're like, that's okay, because what is familiar, even though it's crummy and stinky and I don't want to be there, it's still better than going into the unknown, because going into the unknown is absolutely terrifying. Many of you might know this, or or many not, especially if you're new, but Uh, After college, I went to grad school, I went to seminary, and I got my Master's of Divinity. It's what pastors get to become pastors. But what you might not know is that I went in not to be a pastor. My initial reasoning of going to seminary is to then get a PhD and to teach theology uh, in higher ed at a collegiate or seminary level. That was my dream. That was what I set forth to do. Uh, after three years of seminary, uh, as I was wrapping up, I felt like everything was good. It was strong. And uh, my friends and I, we went to the East Coast, and we went from uh, Durham, North Carolina, all the way to Boston uh, to check out different programs. Uh, And I fell in love with one school that was in Durham, North Carolina. And they have a wonderful uh, PhD program for theology, uh, and at that point, I said, this is, this is where I'm going to live. Can you imagine? Durham, North Carolina for seven years. This is where I'm going to live. This is where I'm going to go to school. And after this, then I'm going to go teach at a seminary or at a college. I'm going to teach Bible or theology. Uh, my mind is made up. I had the trajectory of the next 20, 30, 40 years of my life. So I applied. Uh, and I got a little confident because I thought, okay, this, this is... This is where God wants me. Uh, and even my friends were asking me, well, are you going to apply to different programs? Or are you going to write different theses or different dissertations? And I said, no, this is it. I know exactly where I'm going to go. I put all my eggs in one basket. Weeks pass and weeks pass. And finally, I get an email saying that I didn't get in. And now all of a sudden, this place where I put all my 
eggs in this basket is no longer there, and I will never forget it. The immediate question that I thought of to myself is this, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? And maybe you've felt this before. It seems like in every crisis, in every transition, in every new beginning, in every ending, in every heartbreak, in every good news, in every bad news, we still want to know what lies ahead. And is there an area in your life where you are asking, what's next? Maybe you just got married. Maybe you just got divorced. Maybe you just got a scary diagnosis. Maybe you just lost your job. Maybe you just got a new job. Maybe you're starting a new venture. Maybe you're building new relationships. And in all of this, it's such a natural human condition to ask, what lies ahead? I think even collectively, we are wrestling with this question as a society as well. After a year of protests around racial injustice. We ask, will anything actually change? We have a new president, and many of us are asking, what does life look like now? Many are people asking, even in this pandemic, how do we take the next step? What is next for my life? Do I have to continue wearing masks? Do I have to wear real pants and not sweats? Will I actually have to say yes to social events? Just me. Just me, huh? We want to know what lies ahead. And we, like Moses and the, and the Israelites, it seems as though oftentimes we don't trust God completely. God says, I just want you to go with confidence, checking out what I've already promised you. So I want you to go into the new place, what, what, what God says to the people, it's already prepared. It's already good. Just go and just check it out. But because of the lack of faith, they went in, well, wait a minute. Before I go there, I need to have all my questions answered. Because the reality is this. Not only can we resonate with the people here in numbers because we always ask what's next, but number two, we oftentimes see giants. In verse 27, it says this. They gave Moses... This account. So they go into, they spy, they, they do what Moses asks, they check it out, they see all the people who's already living there, they go back and they're like, okay, I'm ready to report what I just saw. And they say this, we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruits. They brought back a, a souvenir as tourists. Here are the grapes. It's amazing. You are so right. Milk and honey. But the people who live there, they say, are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Now, you'll see a couple different reactions. Then it says, Caleb, one of the twelve, it says in verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and says, we should go there and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. It's quite a different response. And then the people then respond to Caleb, and then they say this, but the men who had gone up with them and said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than us. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored 
devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are great size. We saw the Nephilim, which the Nephilim, we don't know how to translate that, but modern scholars just translate it as giants. We saw giants. And then it says, we seem like grasshoppers in our eyes, in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. Can you imagine? There's two responses. Out of the 12, two, it says Caleb and Joshua in the next chapter. It says, we can do it. We went there. We saw what God promised. We believe that God has that for us. God says it. God proclaimed it in our lives. God told us that this is going to be our land. We can do it. We trust God's power, God's faithfulness, God's love. And then the rest of them, the ten, said, well, wait a minute. Well, you're right. It does look pretty great. God was right that it is a land filled with milk and honey. But did you see the people there? The Nephilim. In other words, there were giants. In other words, we looked into the future that God has for us, whatever that might be for you, and they say this, we see nothing but giants. Like some of these men that went. When we look ahead at what might be next for our lives, oftentimes we see giants. But let me add this. We see giants in our future when we ask what lies ahead, whether they are real or imagined. Because later in Joshua chapter 2, there's another time where uh, Joshua sends spies to Jericho, another part of, uh, of Canaan. Don't worry about the details of that, but listen to this. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof. So Rahab hid the spies and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear has fallen on us. So, you see, so Rahab is talking about the people that, uh, that the spies, the previous spies, said there were giants. There's giants. There's Nephilim there. But here's the irony. Here's what Rahab is saying about the giants. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear has fallen on us so that all who live in this country, Canaan, are melting in fear because of you. That's why, I mean, sometimes the giants that we see are real. We need to pay attention to it. But sometimes they're made up by our own imaginations. Because listen to this irony. Here are the 10 people who spied out and said, I, the land is good, land is great, God is right, but we can't go in there because there are giants. They will destroy us. Those giants will destroy us. But here on the other side, the, the giants are saying, well, wait a minute, we are scared of them. Ooh, they're going to crush us. And notice that this fear was completely imagined by their own selves. Have we ever done that before? I remember when Maria and I, my wife, we were first starting, not even first dating. We were talking, because I know, right, for some of you guys, you know, there's a difference between dating and then just talking. And then there's like, we're not dating, we're just seeing each other. So much lingo, but... At this point, we were just talking. And when I say talking, we were messaging, you know, 
You understand? And when I say messaging, we weren't texting. It was over Instagram messages. That's how we started our marriage. Oh, not our marriage, but our relationship. And, uh, you know, I was playing the long game. I was trying to be smooth, just asking questions, just trying to keep the conversation alive. Uh, And so after, I would say, months of this, I get a message back from Rhea saying, okay, Prentice, either you ask for my number or I give you mine. I'm done with Instagram messages. And I thought, yeah, I was about to. I swear, I was just, that was my next move. I was about to do it. I, and so, you know, I, I, I get her number, and so we really stepped it up. We went from Instagram message to text message, okay? So that's a big deal. I, and I remember I was finally going to, I know some of you guys that are old-fashioned, like, well, how dare you do this over text? But I was like, okay, hey, you want to grab, grab dinner? No big deal, right? Whatever, you know, you want to grab dinner? And it took a bit for her to respond. To respond. And, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what, what did I just do? Can I just undo this? Like, no. And, and then her response was, maybe. Uh, it depends on my work. Because she was at work at the time. And I remember the hours of waiting. Well, what does maybe mean? Because we all know what maybe means, right? It means like, oh, you know, she's not interested. This is where my mind was going. She doesn't want to hang out with me. How can someone like her, like someone like me, like, why did I do this? I'm such a fool. I'm such an idiot. I get a text saying, hey, I can actually go. Like, what? And then we finally, you know, we went out and, well, you know, we're married now, so it worked, you know? But I remember in the last four or five hours, my mind played tricks on me. She said, maybe, because of work, and come to find out, she was telling the truth, actually. It depended on her work. And she got it done. And we went out. But for many of us, our imagination gets a hold of us. And we start thinking about all the things that could go wrong and all the ways that we've messed up or all the ways that it won't go the way that we think it goes or should go or the way that we think that God even promised that it would go. All we see are giants. What kind of giants do you see when you look ahead? And whatever you might be entering into or even exiting out of, See, most of us, we can resonate with the Israelites. We become overwhelmed with what the future can hold. And it's so hard to look ahead and be positive because all we see are nothing but giants, whether they're real or whether they are made up in our own head. But out of the 12 men who were sent, two of them, remember Caleb and Joshua, They show us what it looks like to go head on with the giants. In Numbers 14, and I'll wind down with this, it says, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who explored the land, tore their clothes, because that was the way that they lament, that's the way they grieved, and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good, If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land filled with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord 
And here's the important part. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, of the giants. Do not be afraid, in other words. Do not be afraid of the giants. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. It's fascinating that Caleb and Joshua were among 12 spies. And there was only two of them that thought differently. Can you imagine the story? Like, they went to the same place. They saw the same landscape. They witnessed the same people that occupied that land. They saw potentially the same giants that the other ten saw. Yet they returned, and their experience and their report was completely different. And to make it even more incredible, again, it was only two out of the 12 people that were sent in to scope out the land. Can you imagine being the two? Speaking up and opposing all the leaders, not only the leaders, but, but even the people, because the news spread and all the Israelites were angry that God brought them to a place that they were just going to be destroyed. And these two people were going against the entire crowd, against the grain, and saying, we can do this. See, Joshua and Caleb took the risk of speaking up, of going against the people, of going against the grain, and leaned and just clung on to the promises of God for them. And the promise all throughout this journey was that God would never leave them nor forsake them, that God would actually bring them to a life that is thriving, to a life filled with milk and honey. So do not be afraid. Now, we don't know what lies ahead in all of our lives. We just don't. Remember those magic eight balls? I wish we had those magic eight balls, and I, I wish those were real. But many of us, all of us, none of us, we, we, know, we don't know what lies ahead. But we do know it seems like oftentimes when we do look ahead that we're facing giants. But I love God's instructions. To the Israelites. And I won't go into this story, but there's a cloud. And the instruction is, hey, when the cloud is over the tabernacle, then you move. You move forward. That's it. Go. When, when, when the cloud is gone, then you stay. Basically, when the cloud is there, you move. When the cloud is not there, you don't move. The point of that story, the point of what God is doing is saying, hey, just trust me. When I move, I want you to come with me. When I say now is the time, I want you to go. I know that there's a lot of questions. I know that there's a lot of giants. I know that there's a lot of uncertainty. But God is saying, trust me, when I move, I'm going with you. But when I stop, you don't move. The point is to be obedient to how God is beckoning you. And as I invite the team back up, I would love for us to enter into this posture of reflection. What are the giants? Who are the giants? Where are the giants that we see? Will you trust God? Will you be obedient, just like Joshua and Caleb, even if that means being alone, even if that means going against the grain? 
Will you be brave as you enter into the next season? Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life or what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or weep or store away in the barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? God will take care of you. I know that sounds so cliche. I know that that sounds like such a platitude. But I'm up here because I truly believe that. Whatever you have in store next, you may not know all the answers. You might be afraid. Shoot, you might even be happy because it's good news. But there's still that level of uncertainty. There's still giants that we face. God goes with you. God is with you. God will never leave you nor abandon you. Be like Joshua and Caleb. Go in faith. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Joshua and Caleb. We ask that the giants that we face in front of us, may we believe that they are no match for your power, your movement. What you want to happen will happen. May we see that. May we hop on board with that. May we trust you and surrender our need for control and all the answers. May we just move when you move and that's it. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's continue in worship together as a song of reflection.